Hey wedding lawyers, welcome to the podcast. Today we are going to have a chat with Advocate Pankaj Singh. Mr. Pankaj is currently working as an advocate in the Supreme Court of India. Uh, before he has worked in multiple other countries and also worked as an expert on mission to the United Nations High Commissioner for the Refugees Africa Bureau. Am I right, Pankaj? Yes, uh, Prasanna. Perfect. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, it's nice having you here. Uh, thank you, Prasanna. I am also obliged that uh, you have invited me in your platform uh, to speak uh, about myself and uh, my career path. Yeah, actually, I I uh, usually go through many LinkedIn profile and I uh, invite people to the <coughs> podcast. So, your profile was quite a unique one because you have worked in the UN and multiple other places too. <laughs> we'll get to that. Uh, but let, let, hmm. let's start with like, um, you you completed your bachelor's from NLIU Bhopal. And then you have worked at many places. Uh, we'll go one by one, as I said. Uh, you for, Your first stint was in UN office as an intern in Switzerland. How did you get that internship? Well, uh, after my graduation from National Law School, uh, that was in 2006, I went for my master's in uh, European law in, and I got a scholarship that is uh, Erasmus scholarship and I was studying in France. So being in vicinity of France and Geneva, it was easier for me to get an internship first. And then my entire course was based in uh, French language. So French language was also important part that uh, important part that took me uh, to uh, internship with uh, OHCHR that is uh, and a human rights council team in Geneva that was in 2007. Okay. So I applied. They were basically looking for someone who speaks French and who have knowledge in international human rights law. And mm. yes. So this was the this was the primary uh, source of uh, my internship with, uh, and this is how basically I got in with uh, OSCHR and Human Rights Council team. So basically, I worked there for a brief stint. It was a six months period, and I was directly involved with uh, recruitment of special repertoire. Special repertoires are uh, experts in in a particular theme. And they report to Human Rights Council about, uh, about the country position, about how the human rights uh, are being inculcated or are being applied in a particular country. So first, I was involved in their recruitment with Human Rights Council team because Human Rights Council team itself recruit them. And then my primary work was to assist them in their own research. Okay. And giving them country of uh, origin information. For instance, for example, if somebody, a special repertoire has been appointed to check in India, what are the standards of labor laws as, uh, as per the ILO guidelines are being followed? So basically, they come to India and uh, they interview people, government authorities, NGOs, and the, uh, and the laborers or the employees and the employers, and they check the standard and present it to the member country. The member country criticize them oftenly that, uh, uh, to, the member, to the other member country that you have not complied with these standards. So there are many questions and answers that are being asked during a particular human rights council uh, period. Mm. 
so i was deployed in a period of when human rights council was that uh, it was the 10th human rights council today for example it is uh, 72 or 77th meeting happening right now okay okay so yes. even the first internship was quite intense and you would have learned a lot right yes in even system even the interns are being uh, treated at par with the regular employee because for example if somebody works for 6 months it is qualified as one month of uh, work experience so internships are very competitive first and then getting into the system is very tough and then when you work for 6 months it accumulates uh, for you as a work experience for one month in the event system this is how event system functions Hmm. So, working in an international organization like UN, it's like a dream come true for many students. So, can any law student apply for an internship there, in any UN office? If yes, then yeah. then what's the procedure and eligibility? Yes, the law a law student are better suited for uh, to work with the UN. law is a, a law student and a student having a diverse background for example somebody expertizing in international criminal law somebody who is having expert in international humanitarian law uh, military law war crimes genocide these and uh, these are the basic qualification they look for apart from that even is also getting very diverse they look for people who are having some it skills language skill is very important like somebody know uh the even languages like we all being as an indian we know english so somebody who is well versed and able to communicate in uh, other official languages like french and spanish and arabic right so mm. and but my suggestion to the prospective uh, people who want to apply for uh, an internship or even for the work with even is to apply for country position like somebody who is in india they should apply for even bodies or even agencies there is a difference between even bodies even agencies and even funds like unicef is a un fund united nation high commission for refugees is an un agency so people can apply to these agencies and funds and bodies so there is a pro uh, proper format for example we cannot send them our regular cv there is a cv known as p11 and whenever mm. they advertise they have a cv called as p11 you have to apply and write your credential in their p11 that basically checks your competency the competency they check is ability to work with diverse cultural diversity ability to work with uh, in a in a diverse field ability to work under pressure ability to take a decision without uh, uh without seeking advices from your seniors so these are the competency level they check for example you have to write for instance a special instance that you have taken in your career it may be from uh, it can be in a micro level or a macro level then what was the special task that was assigned to you what actually you did that comes under action and what was the result so this is how you have to write and that too you have to write in a very short uh, characters for example uh, 100 characters or 200 characters you have to demonstrate this basically checks your credibility if you at all have worked or you are just uh, bluffing without boasting yourself 
So a lot of people miss these points and then you have to write a letter of motivation. Letter of motivation is also part of that application. And you have to write again in very less characters, for example, 500 characters, why I want to work with UNHCR. So UNHCR is a refugee agency. Do I have any connection with the refugees or illegal immigrants or the migrants? Have I worked anywhere? I have to think and then I have to write what I have done what action I have done, what was the task that was assigned and what was the result. The result may be good or the result may be bad. So this is how I need to draft my CV. And then in the internal interview process start. Interview, in the interview process, there is nothing wrong and there is nothing right. Marks are given as per the star format. That is what was the work assigned, that is, that is and what was the task uh, situation. S means situation, T means task, A for action, R for result. So all there are five questions asked why you want to do uh, internship or why you are uh, fit for the candidate. Then they will ask situation-based questions. So you can be right, you can be wrong, but depending upon your competency, for example, you are applying for a associate level or very junior associate, you will have a different competency. So you have to give a particular kind of situation in the interview and then if you are applying for a or if you are, have been shortlisted for a higher position then you need to co cite some good examples for example uh, if you are a manager you cannot uh, write very um, uh, uh, small uh, things like uh, i and then they also check how good is, is your communication the communications involve everything like strategic communication strategic negotiation and uh, yeah, these are the communication skills they see. So this is how one should draft their uh, CV and a letter of motivation and uh, prepare themselves for the interview. I have coached many people, even uh, my co-colleagues who are applying for some international positions or diplomatic positions. So yeah, so this is how it should be. <laughs> that's, that's quite a thing. I mean... <laughs> I agree. I mean, uh, an international organization like United Nations will be having such kind of uh, intense procedure even uh, while hiring interns. That's quite expected. But uh, it's worth a while. I mean, uh, if one has to work in such prestigious organizations, one can expect such things and they must prepare themselves uh, before applying and build that competency and apply there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just want to add a lot of people, I get queries from people that they are being disheartened applying for UN agencies and UN bodies, UN system for a long time. They send 1000 applications, but they never respond. Yes, UN <laughs> will never respond because unless and until you fit their criteria and they just look for keywords, the keywords, for example, if I am applying for associate position in the UNSCR office, I need to write these competencies in a particular keyword because they are being searched through a system algorithm. Once they are shortlisted, then only the manager will, the HR manager will look into your CV. So unless mm. until you write very specific keywords, it will be very difficult for you to be shortlisted by the algorithm. Okay. Yeah. This is something new, maybe for many listeners. So what happens is uh, nowadays, as you apply in law firms and other positions in India, uh, you, you the CV usually goes to the HR or the uh, team which looks after applications and all. But most, like many big organizations, uh, like UN and all, uh, there they it, the application doesn't directly go to the HR or any individual as per se, but it goes to a system, a computer or any 
you know uh, a software where the algorithm looks through the application and if the key if it matches the uh, particular keywords with it, it's required competencies with the competencies yeah, yeah yeah so only then the applications are selected and then it moves for the other different rounds yeah yeah then only the human intervention comes and then if for example there are 100 cvs so they will look for the most uh, the best cv that is suited hmm, hmm, hmm. so even the internship is quite competitive in yeah. the even system agree okay so now um, let's let's talk about the international criminal tribu- tribunal uh, for few months you have worked there in the icit uh, for rwanda ICT- and- yes yes i worked with icty international criminal tribunal for ex uh, yugoslavia and uh, rwanda. rwanda yeah it is uh, situated in uh, hey the mandate terminated in 2012 i believe and uh, i got a fellowship to work with icty and ictr again my selection was because i was fluent in french and by that time i had acquired some knowledge in international criminal law and international humanitarian law and military law so i remember that uh, at that time uh, basically the tribunal is set to prosecute uh, to prosecute uh, people uh, i would say um, army generals and people in high commands in uh, rwanda and yugoslavia for their crimes committed in 1990s in uh, bosnia serbia and herzegovina and also in rwanda i remember and i can recall distinctly that i was engaged in a matter the that involved one uh, military general and he was also a founding member of a serbian democratic party and his name was radovan karadic so he was uh, the trial happens of these cases in their respective country and in their counties for example karadic was being prosecuted in bosnia however in hague there is a appeal chamber he was prosecuted and he was held guilty for war uh, for genocide for crime against humanity for violations of law and customs of war he was punished for 50 year, sorry, for 40 years so he basically appealed in icty so i was dealing with this case and uh, and other matters also for uh, in rwandian jurisdiction like one uh, military general who was upper in command and he was giving orders for military to commit uh, genocide the first time genocide came the word genocide came in the, their jurisdiction only ictr otherwise war crime was distinguished uh, th- th- there was a definition for war crime but there was uh, no after nuremberg trial only but there was no distinct uh, definition of what is genocide so it was coined during icty and ictr uh, uh, matters that was happening so my work was limited to uh, monitoring the trials and uh, then prepare it it also involved a lot of administrative work because you know that even is very bureaucratic even the courts works in a bureaucratic uh, way so i was also involved in preparation of uh, various internal uh, memos of the court and uh, then uh, i was also involved in case mapping and the case management because at different stages different applications are filed in the trial court in uh, bosnia or in rwanda at the same time various applications are being filed in appeals chamber 
other works that uh, included was uh, witness profiling regarding the credibility of the witnesses in this uh, in this uh, matter in these matters and uh, i also was working directly under a judge of icty whose name is andresia vaz so i was engaged directly by her i was also drafting judicial documents for the judges and also for the appeals chamber for example i drafted indictments and the motions of the courts and i also provided them transcripts and orders to the chambers so these were my basic work that i did uh, during my fellowship with icty okay okay so uh, just just <laughs> i got a bit curious so uh, before joining icty did you have some knowledge or have you uh, did you read about some uh, history re- regarding this these topics these matters you were handling with uh i'll tell you that when i joined icty straight away i was sent to a library to study the entire <laughs> criminal jurisdiction and uh, i spent uh, about one and a half months just reading i was also uh... curious that after my appointment i was directly sent to the library to read just my duty from 9 to 5 was just to read the entire criminal jurisprudence of icty and ictr this is how even prepares you for any appointment whenever you are recruited you are trained before you are inducted and even uh, during your duty you are given uh, periodic uh, courses so that you keep updating yourself with the law and with the mandate of that particular organization that's really great i mean and that's very important uh, because uh, unless and until you know what you are uh, talking about or what you are which client you are going to represent you don't know what's the past how will you understand the current situation of the client right exactly okay so now the main thing uh, your main stint i guess was the uh, united nations high commissioner's mission uh, in africa so you worked there for around 5 years that's a quite a big uh, span of time how did you get yes. there and and what what was the work there yes prior to joining the africa office i was also uh, working with un office in india and my primary work was to uh interview the asylum seekers coming from different countries in india like from afghanistan from myanmar from sudan from somalia and other countries for example syria now my work was to interview them to check their credibility whatever their story they are narrating are true and then going and making an assessment if they can be recognized as refugee in india or not this was my primary task so basically i was a decision maker of all the asylum seekers in india so after that i was and the refugees are the in india the case load that i was handling were the mandate refugees of unscr and not of the government okay during this period i was also i was also involved in uh, with various government authorities like the mha because i had to send them a periodic uh, periodic uh, datas and then my instinct with icty played a role how i'll explain in a very brief because i because there were many people who were coming 
I had to check if they had any exclusion concerns. For example, if if someone was involved, any state actors or a non-state actors, state actors may be army generals who don't deserve international protection because of their past association with a regime. For example, somebody who was working with Saddam Hussein, uh, Hussein regime, mm. and now he he is seeking uh, an asylum in India because the regime has changed. So I had to check if he genuinely renounced his position as a military general or not. But then I had to dig up his entire past if he has given any order that uh, that uh, culminate that may culminate into war crime that he may have committed in the past. So these are exclusion triggers. I had to check, and then I had to conclude if this person deserves an international protection or not. So this was my primary work in India. Thereafter, I was uh, with uh, UN in the Africa. My job was to resettle them. Now refugees were living, recognized by the government, they were living in a protracted kind of situation in refugee camp for 20 years. Hmm. Now there is a provision for resettling them to a country like USA, like Canada and European countries for their better uh, chances of their living, right? So now I was working with a caseload that comprises of Congolese refugees who were living in refugee camps in Africa for 20 years, Congolese and Burundians. So my work and my task was limited to resettling them according to there are some classification also, even, even after living for 20 years, whether they deserve to be resettled. Hmm. Right. Hmm. Hmm. So then I was uh, making an assessment. I was interviewing them. I was checking their credibility. Again, I was checking exclusion triggers if they were involved because they particip- because they were involved in some war engagement with their with the militias in uh, in their respective country. So if they were trained in using arms, if they were trained in uh, using uh, where they whether they were the part of the local militia, whether they were forced to join the military, whether they have worked with the military. So these were checked. And then I was resettling them. And I was recommending to USCIS, that is United, Nation, United States Citizenship and Immigration Service. And uh, our work was also... Uh, linked with FBI and CIS because a good check, a good background check uh, happens when somebody is resettled in US because after resettlement, they are given after a period of one year, they are given citizenship and they become uh, and they have all the rights like a citizen have. So it involved a lot of uh, networking and a lot of negotiations with even with the government counterparts. Sometimes government denies their uh, their claim. No, even the resettlement, even after my recommendation, then I have to press hard how somebody fits into their criteria to be resettled. And then there are many bogus claims also. So I had to check if they, they, the claims are uh, are suitable and they are credible or not. Okay. So even after your judgment, your research and all, if government denies yes. denies them their claim, uh, yes, then... because ultimately the government has to decide, right, that mm. whether I am involving a set of refugees, for example, Syrians. Syrians were banned by Mr. Trump when he was president. Right after his uh, appointment, he gave an executive order because it is very difficult to identif- identify, uh, especially Syrians, whether they are civilians 
whether they were party to the conflict, whether they were for the Assad, whether they were for other non-state actors. So without having a thorough interview, and there was mass influx, there is no time to interview them because to interview them, to register any refugee, it takes a period of one year. Hmm. And the cases keeps on accumulating and people keeps on uh, creating a backlog. Right. Hmm. So hmm. we have to do it very fast. So there was no time for the government to check uh, every each and every detail. So just to be sure that the, they may not uh, harm the integrity and sovereignty of USA, uh, they put a blanket ban on the on the Somalis and the Sudanese and the Syrians. But I mean, uh, I was asking if the government denies the claim, then this procedure continues. Is it like that? If, if the government denies for a particular set of person of, uh, or a family if, because of various considerations like exclusion triggers or their claims are bogus, they are not eligible to be resettled. So they will continue their life as a refugee in that particular country. For example, if somebody is living in Tanzania, I recommended for resettlement. Government is not satisfied even after my recommendation, even after my check. Uh, they may not uh, proceed with their application. Oh. So government is the ultimate uh, deciding uh, authorities. Authority. It is happening in India also. People are being granted asylum. People are being refu uh, granted refugee by UN. But now they are a, a particular set of, uh, without naming them, a particular set of refugees are being deported. Hmm. 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 And it is also hard to identify whether they are uh, genuine, uh, they are illegal immigrants or genuine asylum seekers or they are refugees. Yeah, that's the most critical part, I think. How will you yes. identify who is who? Yeah. Because I, my job was to identify, but seeing the time, what I was getting or what the UN agencies get, and there is continuous inflow, I cannot keep a file for one year or two years. I have to take a decision and government has to take a decision. Hmm. Right. And again, then it depends on uh, the kind of uh, relation, diplomatic relation between one country, the host country and a resettling country. Yeah, yeah. And then the UN. UN, how UN uh, is perceived by one country and UN is perceived by another country. For example, USA, uh, I remember when the, in the, during the Mr. Trump's uh, regime, he also cut on the budget of the UN. So hmm. if they cut the budget, the processing will stop. And this happened during my time in Africa. Yeah. At least it'll, it'll slow down a lot. Yeah. Now they have started after the change in uh, when Mr. Biden came in power. So now the process has started. Otherwise, there was, uh, for example, one lakh admissions was happening in America uh, before Mr. Trump. So four years, it was only happening 30,000 a year. Now it has uh, started. Okay. So after listening to you, all these things, I'm sure the, uh, the work you have done in these organizations was challenging and all, but it was equally interesting. So how was your overall experience? If you want to sum it up collectively and what would be the few important things you have learned so far? Well, uh, my, uh, conclusion will be to everyone if they get a chance should work with UN because uh, when you work with the UN you know how to take a decision you become a problem solver you have to solve uh, you have to take a decision in a fraction of seconds 
without going to your seniors, without taking advices. Even though UN is very bureaucratic, you cannot move without taking, um, without approval of your seniors. But you are in a position, you are given, you are being given a complete uh, uh, authority to take a decision and uh, you have to work in a diverse kind of situation. So now, and you know how to deal with a different set of people at a different point of time. You know how to strategically negotiate. You know how to strategically communicate with different counterparts, with NGOs, with refugees, with clients, with the government authorities. So this also assists uh, this, this uh, understanding and this behavior uh, competency also assist uh, or also may assist any advocate practicing in different forums because you meet different people and uh, mm. you have to different people. You, you may assist a client who is a farmer and then you may uh, be dealing with a CBI officer and then you are also uh, dealing with uh, corporate clients. So you know what to talk and what not to talk, how to communicate. This assist, uh, this, uh, this may assist uh, many advocates and lawyers how in the client counseling. And also drafting, also, for example, in drafting, I have written several narratives. So now I know how to write a draft very precisely without using legal terms, not to be judgmental when you, we write the facts. Hmm. Right. And then when it comes to argument part, we know what to write and what not to write. We basically understand what the anticipate, what the other party is looking for in our draft, in our argument. Why not to hide it and keep it for the argument? Why to completely demonstrate what I want to uh, argue in the court and uh, give a preparation time for the other party? So these are the learnings what I have uh, I have accumulated and uh, this is assisting me in my practice and this may also assist other advocates. So uh, if you were you also took many efforts you were competent also one may say you were quite lucky to uh, get into the organization. But if people who have who didn't get a chance to intern in such an organization can they apply for a job there? Yes, certainly. UN is very diverse. They are recruiting IT people. People are who are expertise in information and technology. People are uh, they are hiring MBAs. The people are uh, they are being hired uh, who are uh, who have expertise in project uh, management, right? So they they are looking for diverse uh, work skills. So everyone should always strive to gain experience in different field not to just limit for example if somebody has interest in human right law it is it it, it may not be a good idea it may not fit to their competency level because there may be one candidate who know also project finance who, who is and who is more capable and he speaks two or three different languages and he is also know he, he also know uh, project management so he will be the most preferred candidate because in different situation in different country or operation, you have to the, the, you have to shift your roles also. In even in on, right. in a particular kind of situation, you have to adapt to different roles. Somebody someday you will work in headquarters, sitting in your office. Someday you you will be sent to the mission in the border border right. area. Hmm. So there is a change in the skill or switchover of the skills. 
so the more skill you have the more uh, chances are there for your recruitment this is how you should demonstrate in your uh, interviews in your uh, cv in your letter of motivation that i am capable enough to switch my skills in a different kind of situation and i have already done it in the past so there is a reasonable likelihood that if a similar situation arises in future i may do it this is what even looks hmm. and there are applications every day there, there are recruitment happening you just and you just keep on applying hmm. Hmm. keeping all these factors in mind also i think if you are if you think that you are not competent enough even after completing your graduation like llb llm you can apply for an internship there go intern yes, there learn uh, there and y- then you yes. can consider uh, yes. for a job understanding understanding the diversity how un work is a primary thing for example if i get a internship in any un body in new delhi i'll take it because i'll get to know how people work because mm. you will be you will be working under uh, your boss and your boss will be a foreigner he will have a different mindset how he want to do uh, how he want a work to be done and there will be instructions also you have to be a very good listener because what i have observed many young people who come and join uh, any profession they are not good listener be it a law firm or and they boast that you ha- for example somebody working in a law firm somebody boast that i have been working as an associate in a particular law firm and i have been given this work but see how to have a career grow see how come you are how you are uh, listening to your uh, supervisor your manager are you following the instructions or you are doing your own work so when you do your own work the own work there are chances that you may do it incorrectly mm. right mm. so for for first few years you have to follow the system you have to understand the system how the system works how to communicate effectively even working in a law firm working in a corporate body because you will be working under a manager you will be uh, working under a supervisor you have to listen to their commands right, right. this is how even teaches teaches you so i think that anybody working in a even system is suitable to work in any corporate body hmm. great uh over to our last question pankaj so please share an incident from your career which is very memorable to you my career uh, very memorable was uh, when i was uh, shortlisted uh, and i was selected uh, for a even uh, duty station in africa i was getting course, all the yeah. privileges i was getting all the privileges like all international diplomats get i was overwhelmed and uh, i thought that this is my um, uh, starting point in my career and uh, do do you remember your first day at work and would you like to share that first day of work uh, yes i traveled uh, from india to tanzania and mm-hmm. then i was there in a hotel for 7 days i was given the entire training the training also included how to negotiate with non state actors because those areas are infected by bandits by non state actors by militias suppose you are traveling in a mission alone and you are being caught by uh, non state actors how you will negotiate and how you will uh, prevent a situation like abduction then i had to travel 70 kilometers to a border area where there was nothing 
and mm-hmm. i had to live in a kind of situation uh, in a border where population was just 1000 and even office was there even forces were there securities were there and i had to move from one place to another with the with the security so this was the highest hardship level i have worked for the un and there was a rest and recuperation period that every uh, after a period of 30 days you have to return back to your home country like my country is india and then after recuperating from those hardship working without family working without basic amenities in the border area where you have less opportunity to interact with people there are no people in the border area and it is dangerous to go out and mm. then you need some uh, rep- uh, time to replenish yourself and your energy to come back and then you go right just imagining whatever you said the situation you have been into uh, kind of uh, will bring goosebumps to people but yeah those are some exciting i mean uh, really memorable experiences you had had thanks pankaj yes. for this informative conversation and sharing your experience with us thank you prasanna and uh, i am highly obliged that uh, you have given me a chance to speak uh, my heart out sure i would love to have you again on this show after you know few maybe 100 episodes or something like that 50 or 100 episodes let's plan for something yeah. like that yeah yeah sure of course okay and thank you so much for listening to this podcast if you like this episode then please 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 share this episode with your friends your colleagues your college friends and we are available all other podcast platforms and also on youtube and do check out our videos on youtube too thank you Thank you.